This podcast is sponsored by Logos Bible Software. If you've been longing for the tools to take your Bible study deeper, you need to try out Logos. I've been personally using Logos for over a decade now for both my devotional and pastoral study. Right now, Logos has partnered with the Kingdom Dreamers to bring you exclusive savings. Check it out at logos.com forward slash Kingdom Dreamer or click the link in the show notes for our exclusive offer. Because I have a dream. Yeah. And staggered by the winds of police brutality, now, you have been the veterans of creative suffering. The ballot or the bullet is to either ignore them or, or to deny them. And we stand together to win the war. Welcome in to the Wild Wild World Season 3. We have returned from our long hiatus of rest slash not rest. We back. We are back. This is the podcast of conscious Christian conversation about the chaos in the cosmos, cuz. What you think? How's that for a tagline? I like that, though, cuz. Actually, let me not play, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Right, but welcome folks, in, man, from the jump. Right, we don't we just we'll chill a little bit, but yeah. this is the Wild Wild World Show, season three, a Kingdom Dreamer podcast where we fight to reunite righteousness and justice. We've been mm. building up to this season, and we're mm. excited to be back. Kellen, how are you feeling with the return? I'm feeling lovely. I'm feeling wondrous. I'm feeling awesome. I'm feeling fantastical. I'm ready to roll, Will. I feel like we ain't been here enough. We ain't brought the people enough content. Me and you, ain't just, we just ain't had the opportunity to chop it up enough about these things that's going on out here in the zeitgeist. <laughs> so I'm just ready. to. I'm, re- I'm ready. I'm ready to roll. I ain't even had no coffee or nothing, but I'm energetic. Let's do this. It's all, all this stuff is pent up. So you guys are going to have, we're going to have a good season. Make sure you follow Kellen. He just crossed 100 Twitter followers. Yeah. Oh boy. Underscore I got K. more followers than Underscore tweets. R. Let's Let's get exactly. It. He's he's going somewhere in the Twitter world. Follow him. Follow me at William R. Horn, H-O-R-N-E, and follow the Kingdom Dreamers at Kingdom X Dreams. We also have a Patreon page now, so you can support the movement because we're about to do big things. Yeah. You see, we even got the matching headgear on. Mm-hmm. There's good merch out there. Check it out. Hey, in the store. the best KD out there. You ain't going to find no KD more proficient than us. None. Nope. Nope, none of the cupcake stuff you've seen from the other KD. None of that. None of that. None of that. So you can check us out, patreon.com slash kingdom dreamers. Check the merch out in the store. We also have had monthly contests, and we had a monthly contest this last March to win all the merch, including including the snapback, two T-shirts. Well, you, we need a ching drop or prices right drop or something like that right there. Right. We need to add that in. Know. Cha-ching. A lot of merch and congratulations, Donna from Florida, a new listener. She won all the merch, sending it congratulations, to Donna. South Place. Congrats, congrats. But Congrats, Donna. You, you, you the man, Donna. We appreciate you. Rock that gear proudly, Donna. Represent, Donna. We with you. Thank you. <laughs> but anyway, be looking for the April giveaway. It's going to be coming towards the end of the month. So, Kellen, I hear people ah. are saying things about us, man. What was that? Hey, you like that, huh? Yeah. They are? They are. Oh, they That's are. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Look, so my man, we, we, you know, every once in a while, people go ahead and drop some reviews for us 
on some of these different service services, you know, podcast uh, sites and whatnot. So we have an Apple review that I want to just read real quick from uh, my man Drenwi. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's D-R-I-N-W-I. I probably shouldn't spell it out. That's not good podcasting, but still, nah. I didn't want to mispronounce his, his, his handle or whatever. But what, but what uh, my man says about us is open, authentic, and humorous. Well, thank you. Uh, it says, Will and Kellen are not afraid to address any issue, explore today's no. controversial events, or openly discuss thought-provoking topics. Their openness, humor, and authenticity keep me coming back. Well, wow. thank you. It wow. Will, you didn't write that yourself, did you? I did not, because I don't know who Derb to win. I don't even know how to say it, so how could I have done it? Yeah, look, I, I didn't write it. I know my mama didn't write it, so we appreciate it. We thank you very much. That makes me feel good. Makes me, but your mama is good. a big fan, so shout out to Kellen's mom. We love yeah, you. Hey, we mama. appreciate your support. Always always <laughs> appreciate your mama. You know, she always sharing our stuff. Thanks, mom. Appreciate nah. you, my dude. <laughs> but now we want your mama to support us as well, and you as mm-hmm. well. So we want all the mamas in the Every game. So. One. That, that's the next step. But uh, but we appreciate the review. So please make sure uh, if you're listening to this right now, uh, do us a solid. Go ahead and, and just rate, review the podcast. Um, you know, you can do it now or you can wait till after you finish listening. Either way works for us. But, you know, if you give us five stars, four stars, whatever you feel we deserve, you know, we okay with that. And if you could drop us a little review, uh, that's much appreciated. Uh, from time to time, we're going to share some reviews that we get uh, here with y'all. So. Uh, please yep. keep that coming. And those reviews and those ratings, as as Will will tell you, really do actually help our profile uh, on these different sites, whether it's Apple, Stitcher, uh, uh, iHeartRadio, um, any, of, any of the podcast platforms that we're in, it actually does help and it helps us get a little bit more exposure. So we appreciate it. Yep. Thanks for the love. But y'all know what time it is. It's time for it. It's crazy out here. Man, crazy out here, man. Bringing back hot takes on the news but we're gonna do it you know quick style today quick style today. Yeah, rapid fire rapid fire it's crazy <laughs> because we've been gone so long and we're literally living in the craziest times of my entire lifetime i don't know yes. if it's the craziest yours probably the craziest kellen's Maybe as an craziest... american yes it is yeah yeah it's been wild so rapid fire kellen what is the first thing that comes on your news feed here well a tiger caught the rona what a tiger caught the Rona. I really now, didn't look. see this, so I don't even know what's happening. Oh, you didn't? Look, <laughs> no, it, I didn't it, see it came across the news feed a few days back. Now, I haven't gone back and checked. So, you know, maybe this was a hoax. I don't know. And if it wasn't, I'm boo-boo the fool. But there was an article that the tiger then tested positive for the Rona. And you know, well, Will knows that right now tigers are a big part of my life. Uh, <laughs> and we ain't even going to get into it more than that. It might be, tigers might be a big part of your life as well. If you've been watching the series, we ain't going to talk about it right now. I'm trying to get Will on board. So hopefully next week we'll maybe, talk about it. Maybe next week. Maybe next right. week. Maybe next week. But a tiger that somehow caught the Rona, I don't really even have anything else to say about it. I don't really know where to go with that. I don't have a hot take on it, but a tiger caught the Rona. So coronavirus is getting crazy. It's even maybe striking the animal kingdom. Let me give you the next news feed. Bernie Sanders today, the day we're recording, drops out the presidential race, making it Biden versus Trump, just as I know everybody always hoped for. Oh, we all saw it coming. Yeah, we all saw it coming. There's a lot of millennials out here real sad. Um, A lot of of far left 
folks will will said let's not be making fun of the far left folks because you know we ain't far right and nothing like that but you know a lot of people very sad very hopeful because they had their hopes pinned on bernie to you know i guess make america a better place and uh be a monarch somehow and like and change turn the entire system upside down um just like people had hoped that obama would do the same thing and some people on the other side of the aisle had hoped that trump would do the same thing so yeah i I don't always understand why we get so wrapped up in these individual presidential candidates who are, you know, bound by law in a lot of areas. But hey, a lot of folks is upset right now. But uh, you know, hey, like you said, we got Biden versus uh, versus Trump coming up. Yep. So, so I'm sure there'll be plenty of conversations about that. Uh, yeah, I don't have anything to say, man. It is what it is. <laughs> it is, what it is. <laughs> Can you tell we're, we're somewhat indifferent politically around? Right. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> eh, whatever, man. I have, yeah, it is what it is. There'll be yeah. more conversations. I'm sure, I'm sure. I'm sure we'll talk about it from time to time. But uh, as of right now, I, I don't care. <laughs> there you go. That's the news. We don't so, care. We moving on to bad. something I do care about. Yes. Well, that stimuli, the stimulus Ooh. package got approved. So... Money is coming y'all way, unless you've been like a Debbie daddy, owe some money in child support, then you ain't getting none. But uh, for most folks, that stimulus package is coming, 1200 a person, 500 per, uh, for a dependent. The small business loans out here dropping, there's some you know, other bailouts as we can expect to big business. But Will, what's the first thing you're going to do with your stimulus check? Tell the people, tell everybody what, what, what you're going to do with it, what you're going to pay. I'll be straight. Give so, us the account number two if you're going to pay a bill. We all want to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Let me give you the bank account. So this twelve hundred per person. So that means I'm getting twenty four hundred. And I didn't. I just had a. You got a dependent now, will you? Forget? Oh, okay, I was about to say you forgot. Oh, it doesn't I didn't forget. Count, uh, it doesn't count because I'm twenty nineteen. Yeah. So I don't get that little five hundred dollar bonus. So yeah, I'm only getting twenty four hundred. So be straight. I owe some taxes from twenty nineteen. So I'm gonna pay yeah. part of my taxes. I gotta gotta taxes. take care of that. And then I'm a, I'm a stock that mug in savings, man. I'm gonna play smart out here. Yep. Financially wise. Huh? What happened? Exactly. What you gonna do, Kellen? We're about to buy a boat. We a on boat? a boat. We on a. No. Can you can you get a boat for twenty four? Twenty four hundred. About to spend that money like I, it's my first NBA check. There you go. There you go. Get a chain and a house out. for your mama. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. But when I was uh, back in the day, when I was a youngin, going to the mall, uh, back in you know the lovely town of Minneapolis, Minnesota, every once in a while we had a little paper. You saved up a little paper. You go to a little spot in the mall called Just Silver, and Just Silver had all the little bling bling, you know, all the working class bling, you know, that we can get, you know, our little chains and right. and rings and bracelets and whatnot. You'd have gave me a twelve hundred dollar check back then. Oh boy. I'd have came out stunned. I'd have four chains and three watches and a couple bracelets, probably a pinky ring. So maybe I'm gonna go do that. I'm just gonna get my stimulus, uh, stimulus uh, swag on. We'll see. There you go. That's certainly an option for a stimulus check. Or, or realistically, yeah, or more realistically, as a man with a wife and four kids, I'm gonna end up buying like pull-ups or something else. <laughs> I don't know. That's fair. <laughs> pull-ups and paint and primer. So <laughs> like, that's going to be my life. So, um, but those of you that are, that are single, ready to mingle and all that stuff, I hope y'all enjoy your, your stimulus money and the rest of yeah. us. Have fun with that 1200. If you in, yeah. I don't know if you in Iowa, I'm sure that's a lot of money. If you in California, Ooh, half, your, half your rent. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's real. 
That is interesting how they didn't factor in the cost of living, but that's a whole other conversation. Let me tell you something else about the COVID-19. We're still stuck at home. Stay at home. Well, that's a good question. Where where are we at? This is the online studio, but the stay home social distancing protocol has been extended to April 30th. If you didn't hear that news, which you should have heard that news, but the talk is it could be much longer. Kellen, how do you feel about being locked in the house for another two months? Uh, well, assuming my wife is listening, I love it. It's awesome. It's the best thing ever. I can't, what I, you know, I would love for this to extend forever. Um, assuming she's not listening, like, yo, I'm going a little crazy. <laughs> you know, like, it, you know, we're, we're talking about So this thing, this whole thing is interesting. Like, you know, if you'd have told somebody, pick, you know, pick a random individual six months ago and say, hey, look, you're going to be able to work from home you know, for four months or whatever. And most likely your expectations of output are going to be lower and it's just going to be overall fairly chill. Um, and you're not going to have to get up and go anywhere, go to the office, whatever, whatever, whatever. Most people be like, okay, that's cool. But if you told them, hey, but your entire family is going to be there with you, you know, <laughs> or if you're, even if you're single, but everybody else is going to be at home too. And so can't nobody come see you or you can't go see anybody else. It'd have been a little bit, different and so i think right now is there's elements that are awesome you know being able to like get up and i don't have to like go you know go through traffic and go to work and all that and i'm just home all the time on one level it's awesome but on another level it's a little much because we are always together and i got four kids here and a wife and we're just always around each other and I never realized how little I was actually around my family and actually how freeing that was <laughs> on some level <laughs> because it is hard being around people all the time. Like, it just is. So, I don't know. We're going to keep on grinding and rolling to the 30th, man. But, you know, I'm going a little nuts here. So, Kellen's family man title is being tested. But hey. it's been, yeah. At first, I was hyped for it because I'm super introverted, so I can stay in the crib for a good minute and get stuff done and read and all that stuff. But I think I've hit my limit because as you see on this screen, if you're on YouTube, on this screen, what you see, this is literally where I sit like all day (laughs) because I work here. I do everything right here. So I'm kind of sick of this seat. I'm kind of sick of this this room. So, you know, it even hits an introvert. And that's the other thing, too, is just the not being able to go out thing, you know? Like, it's like, yo, if we're working from home, you know, but still could go do... But, like, I mean, I leave the house, don't get me wrong. Every once in a while, I just got to go for a drive and get up out of here. Speaking of, I went for a drive out the other day. I went down to the city. You know, I live a little north of Chicago. I went to the city. I was on the north side. And just, you know, just to get out. And every person in the north side of Chicago was out and about just on the streets. There wasn't a lot of traffic. Traffic was light, but they was all on the street. Everybody walking their dog. They was walking their babies. They was walking pet turtles, you know, like whatever they had. They was just outside, just out and about, lolly, you know, lolly daddy dying. And I'm like, yo, why? And it was a Sunday afternoon. Wasn't no festival going on. Wasn't no Cubs game and nothing like that. They just out on the streets. You know, so I said, I feel like this is the exact opposite of social distancing because y'all just all out here rubbing elbows. You know, it was a yeah. bit wild to me, but that's why I get it because we we cooped up, like we cooped yeah, up. Tough. I can't, I can't just go. You, hey, babe, like you know, let's go. You know, get a bite to eat it. You know, for dinner or whatever. Or even if you go to the store, it's like it's just 
you there and you out. You know, you there and you out. You there on a mission. You can't just go to the ball and wander around. Not that that's even something I do, but it's just, you can't go to nobody's house. You know, you can't go see your people. Like, it's just, it's a bit much, you know. Um, so I think it's that whole level of isolation that's starting to, starting to get to me and getting other folks too, I, I'm sure. No, it's been real wild. I went to the grocery store just today. It's the first time I've been out the house in a good minute. But it was wild there, man. Everybody in masks, got little marks on the ground. You got to stand six feet apart. You only got a certain number of people into the store, man. So America ain't experienced nothing like this in some generations, for sure. No, I definitely feel like something out of science fiction uh, novel or, you know, uh, you know, I, I saw a lot of people talking about that movie Contagion. Um, that came out some years ago. I actually, y'all always loved that movie, but I did go rewatch it like a couple weeks ago, and I was like, "Yo, this really is like on a lot of levels. It really does seem like what we're going through." Obviously, there's some differences, but it's it, it's kind of scary how uh, close to the market here. It's wild out here, man. So, um, what else? What else? Anything else going on around here, Will? Before we move on, uh, I, I noticed. Uh, so, you had a note about the unemployment records. People are applying for unemployment at record levels, and it is actually getting a little scary around here. We can enter that out. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, keep it in. Keep it in. Keep it in. I, I, you know, for those those listening, a four year old just burst into the room, looked around, dropped his pull up, and walked into the bathroom that is adjacent and is utilizing the restroom to my left. So you know, it's a wild, wild world that we live in. <laughs> If we gonna keep that in, well, maybe, maybe not. If we yeah. keep it in, you're hearing this. If we'll, if we'll trust me on it, you know, you'll never know. We'll but, keep it in. Uh, it's, it's the quarantine edition. Daddy. Where you hear the whole family, the whole family. Me, oh, and now both twins are in. <laughs> All right, little man, go play. Both of y'all, go, go yonder. Yeah. So anyway, so, uh, yeah. So unemployment, the un- the the non-existent now unemployment lines are around the block, and uh, you know, with a lot of people not only losing their jobs, but also there's a lot of jobs that are going on furlough. Um, as you guys know, I'm, I'm not telling you you don't know, but it, it's just it's hitting that unemployment hard, and uh, you know, I always wonder how this is going to have long-lasting effects on the economy. I mean. Sure, you can watch CNBC or something if you want to know <laughs> more on that. But just from a you know regular guy perspective, um, you know I'm a little nervous about how these things are going to hit. You know if they're going to affect our taxes, and you know who knows what it's going to look like a year from now when maybe life has got to quote unquote normal, uh, but we're still going to see the effects of this um, in other areas. So. No, that's true. It could be a whole new world coming out this mess, man. So, but hey, let me let me give you some light. Huh? We need a record label first. Oh, yeah. Second. Kingdom Dreamer. Let's go. Dude, we could. Record label coming soon. Let me give you a little bit of lighter news. Officially, they announced there will be an NFL 2K football video game reportedly coming to the market in 2021. Now, if you play video games, this is good because Madden sucks and they need competition. Got any uh, thoughts? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, do I have any thoughts? I don't even know because I, I look. I don't. I don't really play games like that anymore. I used to be a quote unquote gamer, as they say, and I had to give it up because that narcotic was starting to get to me. Uh, you know, so I had to step away. Or once in a while, I pick the sticks back up uh, to play one of my kids. And even though I, re- I only play like once every six months, I still be giving them the business. So you know. Just like riding a bike, that talent don't go away. So um, NFL 2K coming out, I'm sure, you know, 
it'll be interesting. If they're bringing something new out, I'm sure it has to be really good. Otherwise, they wouldn't waste their time because Madden's been out. How long has Madden been going? I remember like Madden 93 and 94, I think. So it's been going at least, you know, 20, yeah, 20 plus years. So um, if you're trying to come at the king, they best not miss is all I got to say. Um, Although 2K was out, you know, while back or NFL 2K was out. It was, it was. EA's, EA's sleeping, though, because they ain't got competition. And 2K took out NBA Live. I'm ready to see it smack Madden, too. But. That's what, you remember the old NBA Live games where the players' legs ain't move? And they yeah, were just skating great. around the, <laughs> around the court. Just like slide. Yep. <laughs> just slide. Yeah. Those are good games, yeah. man. Those are good games. I hey, remember hey. breaking all records on those games, man. But, oh, yeah, winning games 237 to 13 and whatnot. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Get, getting 80 steals with your point guard and dropping – because you, tur- you turn fouls off and you just hacking exactly, up. exactly. Yeah. You just smashing that steel button. I remember Man, I had like Andre. I think I had Andre Miller or something like that. I broke all the steel records and everything with them. Just like Andre Miller down. has to be the most random video game player ever because his whole game was based on he was an old man that posted up as a point guard. Anyways, those that don't know basketball, but why would you ever play with Andre Miller in a video game? Because he was on the Nuggets. For a while, so and I was take, put him on a bitch. Andre Miller is the worst video game point guard. I think of. Anyway, like I said, but he became the I, best because I broke the steals. Anyway, let's no, move yeah, on. Okay, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you to my childhood me for breaking that record. Anyway, <laughs> let's let's get a little bit into nitty gritty before we jump into some other cool stuff. But and I think I want to talk this morning. What do you think? So we talk about all this news. Most of it's COVID nineteen. Because it's mm-hmm. wild out here, and this is a really crazy season. But what do you think, Kellen, we should learn in this quarantine at home COVID-19 season? What do you think, man? Drop some knowledge on the people. So, I'm like, should we go deep or should we stay shallow, right? Um, one or the other. Hit no, on I, both I think – so there's a couple elements. So we're going to start with like, this whole family thing, right? Now, again, some of some of my people, you know, some are single. They have to crib. They're kind of by themselves, right? Right. But this whole um, quarantine element, it should tell us a lot about family and kind of how we operate and how we move in a family unit. Like, um, I'll be honest, I'm learning the value of distance. Right. Like, and I'm not even trying to joke on that. Like the, the fact that I get up, typically I get up and leave my house every day, you know, and then I come back means I, you know, the world drains you and whatnot, but it's just a different level of engagement with your family when you're only together really for like four waking hours out of the day versus 24. Um, So when I say the value of distance, what I mean is we're together all the time. And I realize that sometimes we need to be separate. Sometimes we got to give each other some space, right? So like I said, every once in a while I go for a drive. Every once in a while my wife will go off in the room and, you know, she's going to watch her show or whatever, right? And it's just like we need a little bit of space. The same for all the kids, you know? Everybody needs a little bit of space and distance to be able to, like, recharge their batteries. Um, But at the same time, it's really valuable being able to be together during this time. And, you know, I feel like, look, I'm getting to know my kids better than I ever have because I'm just with them more. Um, And so I think, at, like, whenever all of this is, quote, unquote, over, um, there will be a sense of loss there. Uh, you know, being with my little ones every day, it, you know, it's stressful, but it's also a blessing. And, you know, it will be hard to go back to, okay, I'm, I'm leaving you in somebody else's care for, you know, seven, eight, nine hours throughout the day while I go, you know, make the bacon. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, so that's just one element. What you think about that, Will? No, nah, that's real. I, I was going to say my learning has been the opposite, but it is true. I didn't think about that. I literally haven't missed a moment of my child being born because he was born right before COVID-19 right. dropped on us. So, like, I've been here literally for every minute of that dude's life, which is a blessing. I guess I haven't been away to see it now. But I was thinking the opposite way. As an introvert, I've always wanted to be, like, shut up and just do what I want to do. I want to read, I want to create, I want to do these things, but I don't want any people distractions. But, man, yeah. like – it just shows me how much like I need the community out there that, you know, I withdraw from so much in normal day life because man, mm-hmm. I've been locked up in here so much. I got to just like yell out the window to a neighbor just to get a little <laughs> bit of something, something happening. Yeah. But, but for real, it, I think it's teaching me the need to build those tighter knit communities and to, you know, not my tendency, right. Would be to come home from work, and even if I know as, as a pastor, I'm supposed to be building community, doing all these things. Like, I just want to go in the crib and ignore everybody because mm-hmm. that's my personality. But man, just seeing like the, how much that actually refreshes my soul, even though it hasn't in this season, because I've been locked up for so long. So just it's bringing balance back to my life. So. No, yeah. Good. Well, I mean, we're communal, we're communal creatures. You know, we, yeah. we need each other and other people, even if you're an introvert, even if you don't have a ton of other people, like it, we need people. And when that's taken away, you know, you see kind of the effects on that, uh, effects yeah. of that. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, there's something missing from your life when you're not able to, to really engage with other people um, or they don't even necessarily have that option. So, um, yeah. No, I definitely agree with you. Well, and I'd say another thing I'm learning, and I'm just this is just reflecting today, is like my tendencies are towards workaholic type stuff. Cause I feel like I've worked way more being in quarantine because I haven't had the rhythms of breakup of day, like go to an office, do what I gotta mm-hmm. do, come back and do different type of work. But because it's like all meshed together, home and work, like mm-hmm. I've been working way too much. So mm-hmm. So it's a tendency I'm leaning towards that I got to watch out more that's, I think, being exposed in me being locked up in this house. Step away from the desk, man, and go cuddle up with your boo and your, and your youngin' I, I gotta, and you know, house hunters or something, you know? Just got to go chill. That's right. I got I to gotta change it up, man. So I'm learning. Yeah, go I'm learning. Read a novel, Will. When's the last time you read a novel? Uh, I can't. Read something. So <laughs> actually read, probably not since... They made me read one in high school, but I did listen to a novel. I listened to, what was that novel that blew up? Dang it, I forget. Fahrenheit 4. <laughs> no, no, well, I did read that back in like high school. No, they just made a movie about it. Uh, oh, The Hate You Give. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I listened to that on audiobook. I don't know if that counts, but that's the last novel I've engaged with at all. It's been a minute. Were you giving hate? Were you being a hater? Ha, <laughs> terrible joke. Wow. All right, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> um no so look another thing that 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 has kind of been on my mind is this idea of us being kind of overly entertained right so mm-hmm. at the start of the year one of my new years or my 2020 goals was to spend less time being entertained you know more time either being silent or creating or whatever the case may be and what i meant was even um, not just, you know, stuff like watching TV or whatever, but even as I drive to work, I'll be listening to a podcast or, you know, listen to new music or whatever. Right. Um, when I come home, if I had 
nothing going on if there was nobody talking to me or whatever like i would have some level of entertainment going on either in my ears or on a screen like i realized my life was just filled with input <laughs> you know just always yeah, something yeah. being inputted um even when i'm writing and things like that i still have some i'll still be listening to something or watching something and you're know, kind of in the background and i wanted to kind of disengage from that a little bit and i was doing a decent job but since this thing has started like Immediately, once the the whole idea of quarantining started happening, um, I would come across these you know articles and things of that nature um, of people talking about oh well here's what to do during quarantine here's how to keep yourself entertained and talking about oh, Netflix and Hulu and all like all, here's some shows to catch up on and binge and whatever and on a level I've definitely gotten caught up in that um, you know working you know we're working from home uh, working depending on your job work is slower. <laughs> so whether yeah. you might be listening to something while you work or watching something while you work, it's just, and you're, as you said, you're home. And so those lines kind of get blurred. Um, it's not like normally I come home, maybe it's six, I get home at six o'clock and I'm preparing dinner for the kids and doing this, that, and other. I don't sit down to chill until like seven thirty eight. Now it's just kind of all blended in. So I'm just realizing we're spending all day just with this, these inputs and these TV shows and, and, uh, and I'm saying podcasts, but I want y'all to keep listening to podcasts. And podcasts <laughs> is entertainment. This is this is uh, education. Education. Yep. So education. So. But yeah, but I, it's just are we are we get, getting finally getting to the point as a society where we are becoming oversaturated with entertainment and input? Mm. I mean, that's that's true though. We're a consumer culture, not just in buying material goods, but we just consume a lot of stuff, right? Constantly. Yeah. That's what it is an interesting thought because there's a lot of people I talk to that just cannot sit in silence. And it's interesting. That's, like That's me. Yeah, yeah. It was like just thinking about like a whole society that never sits in silence and what we would find if we got into the silence, what we discover about ourselves, about each other, if we just like sat silent for a period of time. See, I wonder why that is like – because the, there, as you know, silence is important, right? We think about when, when you're in school, all the, these philosophers and whatnot that you study, mm. like that. Those people sit around and think about things, right? <laughs> like, yeah, it, like you have to. The way we think about like morals and ethics, I, I mean, as us as Christians, we get ours from the Bible. But even beyond, you know, kind of the Bible says, there's other elements of life where people have spent. Uh, just time and energy and effort just thinking about these things, mulling over things in their mind. And when you're constantly inter like bombarding your brain with music or other sensory or, you know, I don't know how to necessarily say that, but th there's different sensory elements coming in all the time. Right. When do you have time to just really sit and figure things out? And I'm wondering, like, I don't know, maybe it's because we're in modern times. Like, I know me, I, I've told my wife this a few times, other people, like, I didn't live on a street that wasn't on a bus route or like better way to put this. I lived across the street from a bus route or on the same side of the street as, as a bus stop my entire life until I was 24, I think. Hmm. <laughs> so, um, actually, no, no, not even 24. It was 26. It was after I got married and we moved, but like yeah. I mean, before that, like every place I've lived has been like a pretty in an urban environment. You know what I'm saying? And on a street that can be considered busy, you know, some busier than others. But it's like, that's kind of what it was. And so my brain is just used to input all the time. And so when I'm sitting in silence, it's weird for me. When there's, yeah. no, when there's no noise, it like, 
it's loud if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. So I, I don't know what it is, man. But yeah, we got to get to the point where we can kind of sit and be, you know, yeah. and, and be alone with our thoughts, and uh, you know, get deep with it and be alone with our thoughts and be able to connect with the Most High and things like that. So, no, that's true. I mean, there is something like yeah, there's personality differences, so it might be easier for some others. But there is a spiritual discipline of silence that maybe you know this opportunity in quarantine to figure that out. But I don't know. With twenty streaming services, it's a uh, it's tough. It is wild. I mean, streaming services, but it's tough. Yeah, real talk, and they talk like everywhere you look, it's like, oh, this is an excellent TV show, excellent movie. You got to watch all of this. You got to catch all of this up. And like, look, I'm not about to act like I'm a Quaker out here. You know, I'm just like, yeah, I, I engage in entertainment and culture and TV and things of that nature. And it's like, oh, this is dope. Like, I've gotten multiple recommendations just in this past week of TV shows I should be watching from friends of mine. Just like, oh, you should check out this. You should check out that. You should peep this. You should peep that. Shoot, before we started recording, I was on will about watching Tiger King. <laughs> so I'm doing <laughs> it too. That's true. But, but we got to find anything, a balance. It's the same yeah. thing. It's like music's the same thing. That's why I find myself. Like it used to be back in the day, I had to actually go buy the album, right? right. So I had a limited consumption. But now you just pay a monthly fee and have unlimited music. You have to check out every album or you're not relevant or things like that. Like there's just so much consumption coming in, but it is what it is. Over entertained. Hey, think, think about it, you know, shoot us an email or, you know, some, let us know what you think and maybe shoot we'll read email. it on the next episode. Yeah, shoot tweet us at us, tweet at us. Tweet at us, yeah. Tweet at us, DM us, DM us, whatever, whatever it happens to be, you know, let us know what you think if you have thoughts. You know. But so before we move on, did want to just let you guys know about a brand new sponsor of ours because, you know, we're doing it big. We're doing it big out here. We got our sponsors and not just, you know, Jimmy's Cupcakes down the street or Al's Furniture. You know, we got been, real life sponsors. We've been trying to get Jimmy's, though. We've been trying to get Jimmy's for the longest. Jimmy ain't been returning our calls, so we, we, we're irritated with Jimmy. Um, but we got real life sponsors. And our new sponsor is Stitcher Premium. This ain't just regular Stitcher. We talk about Stitcher premium so what is stitcher premium you might be asking well stitcher premium is a premium subscription service to stitcher that includes bonus episodes and exclusive shows uh, from hit podcast hosts early access to popular podcasts and ad-free shows so hey if you like comedy there's exclusive archives and episodes from comedy bang bang wtf with mark Marin, and how did this get made one of my favorite podcasts uh, by the way if you like true crime, you got things, uh, exclusive archives and episodes from Criminology or uh, bonus episodes uh, from True Crime uh, True Crime Garage, I'm sorry, or even ad-free episodes from My Favorite Murder or, Murder or Marvel's Wolverine Plus. Um, so even pop culture that's getting curious with Jonathan Ness, a whole bunch of stuff, right? So if you like it, check it out. Stitcher Premium only costs $4.99 a month or $34.99 a year. Uh, so... Get that by using our code. We got an exclusive code. We're doing it big time. It's Wild World, and you get Stitcher Premium free for 30 days. So, again, that code is Wild World. Not Wild Wild World, just Wild World. Just one wild. wild for 30 days for free. So go ahead and check that out. Um, again, it will be worth your money, and you're also helping us out there. Uh, so check out Stitcher Premium, and we hope to see you there. Bang. So with that, bang, bang. we're going to jump into – What's going to take a bulk of our podcast out there for the regular listeners is we want to spend some time to talk about uh, the massive spike that we've seen in Asian American hate crimes uh, with 
connection to COVID-19. Uh, we saw just a few weeks ago, there was within a two-week period, over 750 reported that were violent crimes, not just like, you know, regular, hey, I hate you type stuff, but violent crimes mm-hmm. against Asian Americans in connection to COVID-19 and connecting back to China, including the United States president calling it the China flu and all sorts of mess has been happening. Um, but we have opportunity uh, a little bit later in this podcast to interview Ray Chang, Michelle Reyes, who were the first, the founding leader drafts, drafters of a statement um, against Asian American, anti-Asian American racism in connection to COVID-19. And they also started the Asian American Christian Collaborative at the same time to begin these conversations. But Kellen, I mean, what are your uh, initial responses to things you've seen uh, just kind of happening in this season? Yeah, most definitely. So just, just forewarning everybody, this is why we have this podcast, because we like to talk about things that are going on here in this wild, wild world. And we also like to talk about them from our different and at times unique perspectives, right? Yeah. And so, you know, my, my initial reaction um, once I started learning about this was, you know, obviously like this is terrible. Like, this is ridiculous. Uh, reading stories about people yelling racial slurs at Asian folks as they're walking down the street or just minding their business at stores, um, even attacks and all sorts of nonsense. And, you know, you sigh and you roll your eyes and say, people, like, it, we're always reminded how dumb, idiotic, xenophobic, and racist people just actually can be, mm-hmm. especially um, when when they're scared. And we see it time and time and time and time again, right? And it hits all sorts of different groups uh, in America. And the reality is, if you are not white Anglo-Saxon um, with um, your roots in you know, England and, <laughs> and whatnot, you know, your people group has got it at some point here in this country. Um, and so, yeah, I, so Will, my initial reaction was just, you know, here we go again. Um, and my initial reaction was, you know, sadness that folks are dealing with this. So what was your initial reaction, Will? I know you, you come from a more unique situation than I am. Yeah, I mean, well, I guess same thing. Yeah, pastoring a Chinese church in this season, it, it hit directly at home to people I'm supposed to be leading and shepherding. But uh, it is interesting you know, we've been doing this podcast for a couple of years now, and it seems like very regularly there's things that happen that really expose the heart of particularly the United States, but really globally, right, of mm-hmm. what, what narratives life has been built on around white supremacy in America. Like just mm-hmm. tons of things, minor things happen that always expose this deep, sinful heart of a nation. Uh, and this, again, is another form of that, right? Um, Mm -hmm. so it, I think it causes, you know, unfortunately it's not surprising. Um, and it should cause us to, I don't know, for, particularly for those who have been denying, you know, systematic racism and the larger narratives at play, like it seems it hits everybody. It just depends on what happens in history. Right. And you can't escape those narratives, uh, even for those who try to assimilate into, white culture at the end of the day when something happens you know you'll be exposed like in this case something happens in china even if you've fully assimilated into white culture of america right it's going Mm -hmm. to end up exposing 
the deep-seated narrative that yeah. white supremacy is top. So it's unfortunately not surprising, and it's it seems to just be regular in our conversation. Oh, yeah. Even if we try even to, our, even in our lifetime, we like in our even adult lifetime, we've seen um, the attacks on Middle Eastern folks after nine eleven. Um, we've seen obviously recently. Uh, the attacks on Hispanic people, and particularly people of Mexican descent, um, over the last few years, with, you know, with these border yep. issues. So it happens time and time again. And now, here, here's the part that uh, that is interesting and intriguing to me, and where you know my kind of dual—I <laughs> won't say dual loyalties, but where uh, I find myself having multiple thoughts about things, you know, based on who I am. I'm a young black Christian man, right? Um, so as we talked about, we're seeing all these things hitting all these different groups. And I, my initial, you know, response when I saw everything that was going on is, you know, just, yeah, that sucks. It is terrible, right? And um, then I started seeing different responses and uh, I started seeing a lot of talk about, uh, you know, people of color and people banding together and, and these sorts of things. And I started, um, you know, seeing things where there was some different, um, um, like black leaders, like local community leaders, uh, encouraging people to go out and like support Asian businesses and things of that nature. Um, and I'll be honest, part of me said, hmm, okay, like maybe let's hold up a little bit and not hold up a little bit because, you know, I don't want these people or businesses to be supported or whatever. But I always have a slight issue when I see as a black man, when I start seeing people starting to use the terms like people of color and minorities and things of that nature. Because again, as a black man, there is a strong reality that black people have been kind of pushed to another side, right? So we're all people of color and all minorities when these things, when it's beneficial and useful for other minorities to align themselves with. However, every single minority in America, well, let me not say every, because, you know, I guess anybody that's not white is a minority. So there might be somebody from a little tiny island in the Pacific like, wait a minute, you ain't talking about us. But you know what I mean? The, the larger minorities in the country, there are elements of anti-black racism prevalent amongst all of them, right? Amongst Hispanic culture, amongst Asian culture. Um, I don't know so much about Native American, but just in general, anti-black racism is prevalent and it's there. People have experienced it and we have history. And in particular, there has definitely been a history of anti-black racism in the Asian, and I'll just stick even to America because there's a lot going on outside of America, but in the Asian American, I don't want to say culture, but Asian American and black relations, let me put it that way, because I'm speaking in generalities, obviously. Right, right. Uh, there is a long history of anti-blackness that has been going on there. And so I started thinking like, hmm, okay, it's interesting, again, speaking in generalities, and I'm not going to keep saying that to couch my statements, because I think y'all can follow me, and if you can't, well, you know, we'll figure it out. But I'm just like, I think I find it interesting that now the Asian community is like, hey, we all need to band together. We're all minorities. We're all this. We're all people of color. When in general, like, yeah, no, not really. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's definitely not been that whole attitude of we're all people of color. We're all minorities. Let's all band together as a whole. It, during my lifetime, at least, that has not, definitely not been the case. Uh, and, you know, I know some of this are things that you get into um, with uh, with the interview and, um you know, when I was reading the uh, the statement on on uh, from the Asian American collaborative Christian collaborative, yeah. you know, I was thinking these things. The black community has really 
suffered in a lot of ways at the hands of the AIDS community. Like, um, just some examples, right? Um, and again, these are all individual situ situations, but the murder of Latasha Harlins in LA helped spark the LA riots. Latasha Harlins was a 15 year old black girl that was killed by a middle-aged Asian shop owner, right? Over an argument over orange juice, Asian woman. Um, she was Korean, I believe, let me not say Asian. Um, just recently, something that caught my attention um, from a couple years ago was a gentleman by the name of Akai Gurley you remember that name he was a man that was killed in new york city uh he was killed by a new york police officer a police officer named peter liang um he peter liang was actually convicted of his death i don't think he, i don't think he was charged with murder i believe it was manslaughter but why i'm bringing this up is because there were protests in, in new, all over new york by the chinese american and asian community about the fact that peter liang was being brought to justice for the killing of this black man and the, the sentiment was essentially well and I'll, obviously i'm summarizing you know i apologize for putting words in people's mouths but the community essentially had a problem with the fact that this asian man was being held accountable for the murder of this black man when white people weren't so this black man would have been killed as we know, this has been happening all over the place by police. And finally, a police officer is brought to justice, but the essentially was like, hey, hey, what, why are you convicting one of ours, right? <laughs> and so that was, that was an issue. And we see things like this happen from time to time. And obviously, these are big national things. But even just culturally, like at least when I was growing up, and yeah, this is a, an anecdote, like there was elements of, oh, you can't talk to an Asian girl, you know, because her people definitely ain't going to want to see you there if you're black, right? They don't want their, their daughters dating black men. Um, there's elements of elitism that we've experienced from Asian culture. Like there are areas even around here where like there are really wealthy areas that are majority white and the only, for the most part, the only minorities present are Asian American, right? And so as a black person, I'm like these are spaces like Asian and white are almost, they're not intertwined, right? Because we understand and respect that there are different cultures, you know, that, that the Asian, Asian culture and Asian American culture is very rich. And we do have a lot of respect for it. But in terms of our ability to kinds of, kind of be in that space, it has been pushed away. And mm -hmm. on top of that, there's even this economic uh, element where in a lot of black neighborhoods, there's a lot of businesses owned by Asian folks, right? Whether it's, um, whether we're talking, um, liquor stores, gas stations, um, beauty supply in particular, like beauty is a, if you are not black and you're not in the black community, like the beauty supply store is a must in every black community, right? Cause there are black hair care products that are specific to our hair and our texture, and our hair texture, um, even skin and all, just all sorts of stuff that is very important that aren't always sold in the targets and the Walmarts of the world. So we gotta go to the beauty supply store. Almost all of those beauty supply stores are owned by Asian people. And there's also been, there's even been stories out there recently about black people trying to get into that space and own their own beauty supply. Like there was a story about two um, young black women in the early 20s, I've been to looking at previously, who had um, opened a beauty supply store. And according to them, they were being froze out by their vendors because other beauty supply owners who were Asian were essentially telling vendors not to sell to them and they wouldn't purchase from it anymore. Now, this was a year or two ago, I haven't followed back up on that story. So, you know, there's two sides to every story. But 
we see things like this happen on a regular basis, right? And so it's not like, oh, you know, there's black Asian beef necessarily, but there's definitely, it's definitely interesting to me when all of a sudden I see Asian American, Asian American community as a whole, now looking to other minorities and say, hey, no, we're, we're, we're all together, we're, we're one. It's like, yeah, no, that hasn't really been our, uh, our experience here. So, mm-hmm. so now that you guys are catching the brunt end of it, you know, now you want the solidarity that we haven't received from you. Like, yeah. as as a whole, you know, all these years, you know, again, as a black, you know, we're not in the uh, oppression Olympics here, but black people have been catching on the chin in this country for years and years and years. Um, and Asian people in general are the minority that is the most economically well-off in this country. And it, it's not like there's a long history of, you know, an Asian-African-American alliance. You know what I'm saying? So... Yeah. All these things are swirling through my head as I'm thinking about what's going on right now and these calls for unity that are going on now. Um, and so I have questions. Uh, you know, <laughs> my, the, the black side of me is a little apprehensive about all of that, Will. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's an important conversation to have, a needed conversation to have. And obviously, I personally can't say anything to it as a, as a white man in America, but I do think it... Tell me what to think, Will. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> supposed to be my role, right? But... I mean, I think it does drive us or at least point to a need for us to examine the historical narratives uh, to see both where uh, people groups have similar stories so we can find unison, but also to expose those places of disunity where we need reconciliation if we're actually going to move forward for justice, which is what you're exposing, right? And there's obviously historical narratives that need to be confronted, um, which I think is a part of this movement. It needs to be a part of anyhow, right? Is that they can't be separate. If you're going to, if we're going to call for solidarity and justice, it also calls for repentance and reconciliation in places. Right. Um, Yeah. And you know, it's it's human nature. It's the most human thing in the world that, you know, when you are confronted with something, um, to all of a sudden say, wait a minute, like this sucks and I need help from others that are dealing with it when maybe in the past you've been kind of in your own bubble, right? It's, you know, it, I don't want to use too many, but you know, when you go something bad all of a sudden, you know, if you go through a, a spin of homelessness, you know, now you care more about homelessness, <laughs> you know, than, than if you hadn't dealt with it in the past. And so we care yeah. most often about the things that directly affect us. Um, you know, there was, um, uh, kind of viral Twitter uh, Twitter post a couple weeks ago. Uh, this lady was saying, oh, yeah, my dad has been a lifelong um, Republican. He was a strong, staunch Trump supporter uh, for years and years, but then he's seen how he's handled this uh, this COVID-19 thing. And because my dad is also a physician, you know, it's, it's just really bothering him. He's saying that he's no longer supporting Trump. And everybody else, a lot of, well, not everybody, but a lot of people say, wait a minute, so your dad didn't mind when uh, he was still supporting Trump when they were putting babies in cages, and he was still supporting Trump when he was saying sexist and racist things. So none of those things bothered him, but because he's an older man who is a doctor and also is potentially going to be affected by this disease, now he doesn't like how Trump's handling that, so now he's not supporting him anymore. But these other issues clearly didn't matter to him. Right. And so, you know, people piled on and there's truth to that. But again, we care about the things that directly affect us unless we are made aware of these things and the importance of them by other people. And so hopefully in my mind, hopefully this is something that makes folks aware of this, you know, makes 
I hope uh, the Asian American community realizes this. Like, look, y'all have been making a lot of money off of black folks. Most black neighborhoods, you know, <laughs> at least uh, where I've been around, have, have you know, Chinese food restaurants. I'm not saying that that's representative of it, but like there are Asian businesses that are making money off of black Americans on a regular basis on like we're talking about business plans. Like this is, this is my niche, you know? Yeah, and yeah. so how are y'all con- contributing to these communities that you're benefiting from? Like in LA rice, we talked about like people were going and purposefully burning down Korean businesses. Now that was terrible. It shouldn't happen. You know, definitely feel sorry for that, but that's because people felt a very real, very real feelings of being taken advantage of by, by these people that, did business in their community, but did not live in their community and took advantage of their community. And I don't know how much that's really changed over the past 20 years. And so I'd encourage, you know, my Asian American brethren, uh, you know, and again, I'm speaking to generalities. It's not everybody individually feeling these particular ways or engaging in these things, but I'd encourage everybody to think about these things and, you know, um, you know, see, you know, Hey, what can we do? How can we bring unity? How can we kind of close that gap that has been created there? And, you know, even as a black man myself, I'm doing those same things. But because we have this platform, Will, because it's wild, wild world, because we talk about these controversial things, I have to share these thoughts. Otherwise, I'll be doing everybody a disservice. True. You'd be lying. I think, so, before we jump into the interview, because I think the other really important thing that exposes it, that you mentioned is that our experiences don't paint the fullness of reality. And I think that's particularly important for white America. That's very, very individualistic. There's no, you know, we're not built in a collective society. So our minds are trained to what I experience and what I see is what reality is and anything else outside of that, you're probably lying. So I think Ooh, like, boy, you must've been arguing with people online and, and mm, back in your day. I, <laughs> I try to stay out them, them comment sections now, but seriously though, the just this and that's that may be like an extreme way of saying it but the need to recognize that just because you haven't experienced it doesn't mean it's not reality and, and being able to open our eyes to see um the fullness well, that, of that, that that's actually a cultural thing i mean there's studies out there that show that white americans are way more likely to view the world from an individualistic oh, yeah. standpoint yeah. because you haven't had to answer for a group of people and yeah. my guess is Asian Americans are dealing with that on in some similar way. Now, obviously, Asian Americans have a whole. It's different because what you know, depending on what your background is, there's this whole cultural element here, and that that's slightly different, right? So I, I know it's not the same, but my guess is many folks have kind of had have lived that same way. Like, well, I haven't experienced X, Y, and Z, you know, so it's not a problem. And when you're also, oftentimes, the majority not just in your little area, in your neighborhood, but in society, you don't have to think about or come to grips with or wrestle with your cultural identity, you know, uh, <laughs> like you do if you're a minority. Yeah, you, you think about things from an individualistic point of view. So, like, arguing people online all the time, well, I haven't seen this, and, well, you know, the black person I knew did this, and uh, <laughs> it's like, okay, but like you said, it's not about your micro experience, it's about the macro um, out there in the world so yeah and that's why many white christians have trouble understanding social justice issues even if it's clearly biblical is because Mm -hmm. they live through such an individualistic lens and i think particularly in america because white culture it's built on white supremacy anybody who's tried to really assimilate to american culture has bits of that individualism in them that can cause them to think those ways 
even if you're not white. So I think that experience is there. Um, but obviously it's very strong in white America, but, uh, and even that assimilation thing is interesting because the, the opportunity to try to assimilate is unique to, you know, kind of first and second, second generation immigrants. Cause you still have your, your culture, your background, whether you mm-hmm. came from Uzbekistan or whatever, that's still inside of you is right. You, you're familiar yeah. with it. You're aware of it. So you can, you can feel like you can assimilate to American culture, but you don't necessarily lose your heritage because it's it's there when you like as a black american we we have to fight scrap and claw to kind of find hold on to that background which was taken from us and so we're kind of on some level creating it like we have our american background but even going like that african like we don't we don't have that we don't have my grandmother telling me stories about you know our our home village (laughs) you know like that's just not there for us so that assimilation point is even a level of privilege on some level actually i don't want to call it privilege i think that's the wrong term but it, it's it's yeah. it's i don't know it's interesting no, we're just talking yeah, maybe not privilege but you're right so, though it's certainly yeah. the way immigration works and the narrative the historical narratives behind that really affect yeah. how that actually works opportunities to do that but yeah. with that let's what we're going to do is we're going to jump into the interview but then kelly and i are actually going to come back for a Patreon exclusive after this and have our response to the interview, talk a little bit more about some things going on with COVID-19. So if you're not a Patreon supporter, you can always jump on there and get that patreon.com forward slash kingdom dreamers. Enjoy any tier and you'll have all the exclusive Patreon episodes. So you'll get the response to that. But hey, remember the Patreon is, it goes to help what we do. If you, if you enjoy, you appreciate it. It is support and we can really use it. We really appreciate those of you that jump on to show your love and support via Patreon. And so we're trying to give y'all some things that are exclusive only to you um, because we want to make sure that you understand that we appreciate that support and there's value to your support as well. That's true. We love to create, but it's not free. So we need your support and we want to give more to you. So with that, without further ado, we're going to jump into the special interview with Raymond Shank and Michelle Reyes about the Asian American Christian Collaborative and their statement on COVID-19 and anti-Asian racism. So I want to welcome Ray Chang and Michelle Reyes to the Wild Wild World podcast, part of the Kingdom Dreamer movement. Uh, Ray and Michelle are the lead drafters of a legit super all-star stack team behind the statements on anti-Asian racism in the time of COVID-19, which personally, I'm really excited about the momentum I've seen. Uh, It's getting a lot of shares online. It's been reported on by multiple news sources, Christianity Today, Religious News Service, et cetera. Um, Excited to be a part of this, to see what you all are doing and partner with you. But first, before we jump into the nitty gritty of this, I want the Wild Wild World audience to know who you guys are. Who is Ray Michelle? So first, I want to start with Michelle because I don't know Michelle that well. So who is Michelle Reyes? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, thank you so much for having us on. Uh, thrilled to be here. So I am a second generation Indian American woman. Um, you know, if I was to tell you my byline, it'd be church planter, pastor's wife, author, activist, uh, and and mom. <laughs> I have uh, a four-year-old a, and a one-year-old. Quite a stack. Um, but so... Uh, yeah, so I actually started in the academy. So I, I have a PhD in 19, 18th century German literature and uh, helped get the German program up and running at Moody Bible Institute and taught in Chicago for a while. 
Um, and my, my focus was on folklore and uh, female storytelling, narrative justice, uh, which focuses a lot on just passing the mic from, from uh, those in, in power to those who are uh, on the margins. And um, now that I'm in full-time vocational ministry, I'm, I'm, I'm taking those same ideas and applying them now to our largely immigrant community. And so uh, my husband and I, we planted a church in 2014 called Hope Community Church in East Austin, which is um, historically low-income disadvantaged, disadvantaged communities um, with people of color. So uh, our church is minority-led, multicultural, um, intentionally so. And uh, we're doing a lot just on the ground uh, in terms of just elevating the voices of, of the marginalized and, and seeking justice um, in, all, in all sorts of ways uh, for the people in our community. So uh, doing that, uh, currently also writing a book for Zondervan on cross-cultural relationships. Um, and then I'm also the local CCDA uh, Austin networker. So okay. just Man. keeping busy. <laughs> Yeah, you definitely keep them busy. That's cool. So when's the yeah. when's the book come out you're talking about? The book, uh, as of now, is planned for March 2021. 2021 March. All right. We're going to yeah. come back to that and make sure the audience okay. knows. That sounds exciting. <laughs> and CCDA, that's, nice. that's really where I was transformed as a young college student 18 was CCDA people speaking, you know, into my life. So that whole CCDA movement really is core to who I am. So I love to hear yeah. Somebody who's really leading that effort. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Then, what's uh? Is there any connection that your church is like denominationally to, or is it a independent? We're non-denominational. Or, okay. Yeah. Okay. That's dope, though. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's exciting. So you got. I want to hold, do a whole other interview on all those other things since you're doing so much out here. But <laughs> nice. <laughs> but uh, Ray, man, tell us, tell us who you are. Who is Ray Chen? Yeah. Well, thanks, Will, for having us. Uh, my name is Ray. Uh, I work currently at Wheaton College overseeing our discipleship efforts through the chaplain's office. And uh, I'm a second generation Korean American. Both of my parents moved here. Uh, my mom's a 1.5 generation Korean American. And then my dad's a, a, a first generation Korean American, which basically means he came in his adulthood. And then my mom came when she was in her teens. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I write. Uh, some of you would know some of the things that I've written. Uh, I actually just got a chapter in a book uh approved and so that'll be coming out sometime this year i don't even know what the title is but it's on preaching along the lines of race and justice and so how do we preach on on these issues um and so i think trillia newbell and uh dan darling from the erlc are actually the ones that are editing the volume um and you know i i'm, I'm a i'm a pastor at heart uh a preacher in aspiration and uh um and just someone who just loves jesus i don't wear as many shoes as you know people say that people wear hats a lot of hats michelle doesn't wear many hats she wears a lot of shoes because she's always she's always going somewhere a lot of <laughs> shoes i mean that's hard to Never keep up that. with so i won't hold you up to <laughs> michelle's standards of shoes so don't worry about that but no that's exciting oh, to hear man. right and when you get the title of that book you need to let me know so i can let let the audience know sounds exciting especially for preaching that's I need more of that, more resources for preaching cross-culturally. So we need to make sure we get more of those out. So just so we're not spending too much time, let's jump right into this statement. So I want to talk about um, the statement on anti-Asian racism in the time of COVID-19 and also the Asian American Christian Collaborative. So first, just 
tell me where did this group and statement come from? Because it appeared to me to just pop up on the internet and be like, just blow up in like 24 hours. So <laughs> where, did, where did it start? How did this all happen? Either you can share. So. Okay. Uh, yeah. So yeah, you're right. It, it's been a whirlwind of like nine or 10 days. Uh, but so this, the conversation on all of this started on Thursday, and I believe that was March 26th. Um, but in, in essence, uh, Ray and a few other friends, basically Asian American Christians and faith leaders across the country started talking um, in a conversation that began a little after midnight on Thursday and was just sharing the, the, the shared pains and experiences of racism that we'd, we'd been experiencing. And in part, it was catalyzed because somebody in that group had um, just that same day shared something on Facebook about anti-Asian racism and was called a snowflake for it. And so it was, it was like all of these different things happening where like we were experiencing uh, personally racism, trying to speak out about it, being either called a snowflake um, largely by, by fellow white friends and even white Christians. Um, and then also trying to have conversations with uh, fellow Christians of color and a lot of them saying, well, you know, do you really have the right to talk about your experiences when we've suffered so much more? And so, so it was like these layers, right, of, of just experiencing everything that everyone else is about the coronavirus and the fear of um, contracting uh, COVID-19, but then the secondary contagion of anti-Asian racism and just feeling, seeing the helplessness that our community was uh, experiencing and also just the rise and escalation in, in, in physical violence and, and realizing this could get this this could get a lot worse, right? Like we could see the death toll rise. Um, we could be moving towards things like internment camps. We have to do something and we need to we need people to see that um, not only the Asian American community, we're not silent on it, but that the Asian American Christians and the church is not silent on it. So we uh, Ray and I, we took the lead in drafting the statement that Friday uh, by Saturday, we had a team of reviewers in place, uh, including Helen Lee, Dr. Sung Chen Ra, um, Alex Jun, and, and, and Dr. Peter Cha, and some others from around the country um, to review it, to help uh, breathe life into it. Um, some of, some of the, the peer reviewers uh, were part of the 2013 document that was written as an open letter by Asian American Christians to the North American Evangelical Church. Uh, so we definitely wanted their involvement too. And then, um, and then it officially got released on that following Tuesday. So within, within the span of about four days. Yeah, that's, that's wild for such an impactful <laughs> statement to come together so fast and so timely too. So did the, the statement and the collaborative group come together basically as the same thing or was the collaborative group already formed before the statement. Yeah, I think that's, that's interesting because I think there were multiple relationships that were forming over time. And I think yeah. one of the things that we were looking for are, were, were friendships uh, that were kind of on the same page that uh, wanted to uh, adhere to a historical uh, Christianity that's grounded and rooted in scripture, uh, that's, that's deeply orthodox and yet uh, is relevant and speaks to uh, issues that are important in society that are oftentimes overlooked because it's not faced by the dominant uh, dominant group or the dominant culture, or the dominant race. And uh, I think it's been hard for a lot of us who are in uh, predominantly white spaces to, to find solidarity and connection and community 
And so we, we've just been re reaching out to one another, to, to connecting with one another. And it, it really became a, a galvanizing point and a great launching point to actually say, okay, you know what? Let's do something and let's, let's create a sustained effort. So we're just not a, a flash in the pan, but uh, actually an organization that people can continue to come to for resources uh, where they can kind of hear uh, an Asian American perspective. And of course there are many Asian American perspectives because, you know, Asian Americans, you know, are as vast as the countries that, uh, they're coming from, as well as the the different kind of uh, subcultures within each country that they're coming from, even ethnic groups within each country, and as 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 best as we can, we really want to be a space where we host uh, the 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 voices and the perspectives of people coming from all these uh, these different tribes, nations, and tongues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's just, good. Just to add to that. Um, yeah, so, so the, the website and the organization, Asian American Christian Collaborative, and the statement were released um, all together. Okay, okay. Well, see, and that's something beautiful about that is just the foresight to not make this a one-off statement, but to create something behind it to continue sustaining this talk and this dialogue. So that's exciting to hear. Um, and first, I mean, personally, this statement means a lot to me in my personal journey because Right now, I'm pastoring a Chinese church, which doesn't, which is massive cross-cultural, obviously, for me as a white American, very American experienced Christian, right? So this statement literally is a statement of protection for my body that I'm learning to, to love and to guide in, uh, in the position I'm in. So it means a lot. And that's, that was a big thing when I saw it. I was like, this is something that needed to be out and to see that go across Asian Americans as a larger uh, group in such diversity um, to be able to bring unison in this effort. So one of the questions, I guess, for, personally for the church I'm in right now, it's 95% Chinese, most of that's mainland China. What would you all say about both this statement and the current uh, climate and moment during COVID-19 to a church that is a Chinese church? Well, I, I think one, we hope that it's an encouragement to know uh, that there are other people across the country, other Christians that are actually speaking up on issues of sin and righteousness and justice. We really want the church to be the ones that pursue holiness on these matters. And we are concerned that we're not because there needs to be a whole counter formation to the defunct formation that has taken place within the uh, evangelical and even broader Western uh, North American church uh, on matters of race, namely in that there's this massive avoidance, uh, this the, this villainization, and this unwillingness to actually address the issues that uh, people within their own congregations often are bringing up. And so for your church, it's unique because the majority of them uh, will find co comfort and confidence and, and, and support with one another. But we'll, we hope that they are seen by a broader group of people outside of their own context, outside of your context. And then also use this because, you know, like people aren't, just, unless you're a cult, you're not really limited to just the people within the four walls of your church. And so that they'll use their own communities and friendships uh, to, to share the, you know, to share kind of the statement and to have people learn from it, to, to take it into their workplaces, to help people uh, get educated there. To, to inform, uh, to be more informed on, on the issues that are really impacting our community. 
And, uh, and of course, we're also mindful that, you know, there are other issues that we need to address, but this is a pretty major one that we're facing right now. And, um, and, and, and we want to make sure that that's highlighted. Mm. No, that's, that's helpful. I find that, uh, at least in my Chinese church context, there's quite a mix in how to respond to both just social justice issues, um, in broad spectrum, but this issue in particular of anti-Asian racism during the season of COVID-19, because um, the experience of COVID-19 hit our body very early, you know, end of January, we had members in Wuhan, and that was the fear of that came across very, very quick, and we had to cancel stuff very, very early, so, um, but the response has been either, you know, people want to stand up for that, but then there's also a fear, right, that if I stand up against these things, I will face more backlash uh, from the broader American community. Um, so I do believe a statement like this um, allows for a unity across these boards to give confidence that, uh, no, there needs to be a standing up together against this. This is injustice. And it begins to give a new language for social justice at large, which has not been at least in my current body, something that's been talked about too much. So we had several members from the church sign the statement as well. So it's exciting to, to see that movement. Um, but shifting to another lane, similarly with this statement in this cultural moment, what would you say to white churches and uh, white Christians during this cultural moment? Yeah. Um... You know, I think as, as soon as you start talking about things like racism, like this becomes a justice conversation, right? right. And I know that um, particularly within, um, you know, evangelical circles, it's it's hard at times to talk about justice and, and largely because it, it becomes this very partisan thing or you associate justice with certain um, camps or speakers. Um, but it, like beyond that, I think there is this very narrow understanding of justice as as punishment, right? It's, it's the conversation focuses on law and order, you know, who, who has transgressed which law and what's the punishment, um, as, as opposed to holding a more robust understanding of biblical justice, which is holistic care for, for one's neighbor, right? And so um, I think you see that in the inbreaking of the, of the, of the new kingdom that Jesus brings, uh, where he is, yes, sharing the good news but he is also healing the sick and feeding the hungry and um you know caring for people's physical emotional and mental needs as much as their spiritual and and so this is this is also our example too is is to for for, for us to understand that as the body when one part hurts we all hurt right and so when we talk about racism as a justice issue this is about caring for all parts of the body right and um and before we even hope to call this out or encourage that in society we need to be doing this well in the church um and, and caring for um you know the, the the immigrant the marginalized the oppressed um among us and, and right now that means a lot of people but it includes asian americans and asian american christians mm. Mm. that's uh, that's really helpful how you made the distinction between understanding ju justice is just this law judgment idea, but this holistic care for neighbor. Uh, I've found that I was using justice words a lot uh, in a lot of church contexts, thinking 
of it in this holistic care for neighbor, but not thinking that most people understand this word in somewhat of a negative way, um, Mm -hmm. particularly in white churches, but even in uh, the Chinese church I'm currently in, would think about this word justice in a negative way. So I think that distinction between how is justice defined biblically and seeing this big picture, that's helpful to begin to open up people's minds to what does this actually mean, this conversation. So that's helpful. Thank you so much for that, Michelle. So I guess I want to shift. You did mention something about this, Michelle, in your first response, uh, but something Kellen and my co-host and I've been discussing when this statement came up um, was the response from other minorities to a cry from Asian Americans for solidarity. Um, and I know it was also briefly touched on in some of you guys' videos I've been watching you've been coming out with, but I want want you guys to give a response for our audience. Uh, many people, particularly in the black community, believe that the Asian American community has not only purposely distanced themselves from other minorities, but has greatly benefited from anti-black mm-hmm. racism in particular, right? By being positioned just in recent history as the model minority in these things that have been created um, in recent history, and that showing in, you know, being one of the only minorities in certain wealthy areas of cities and these type of things. Um, and most of our audience as the wild world is coming from these different places. Um, what would you say, I guess, to the black community during this time when Asian Americans are looking for solidarity, looking for empathy from other minorities? Um, what would you say to those who don't feel they've received the same in return, right? And this is obviously broad generalizations, but these narratives control a lot of people's thoughts, right? So what would you say to them who haven't felt this in return? And also, uh, what would you say to fellow Asian Americans concerning this narrative of history we've seen? I know that's a loaded question, so but I want to hear you guys' thoughts. Well, I'd also love to hear what Michelle has to say, but I think the first thing uh, Asian Americans need to, to do is uh, actually apologize. I think on mm-hmm. We, we are deeply collective. I mean, of all the people groups, you know, Asian Americans, African Americans, and Latino Americans, and Native Americans are all pretty collective groups. And so when something has happened to, to our, our, our people or to us, you know, that has happened to generations before us, we still feel it. So, for example, in, in, in Korean, there's, there's a term called Han, which is uh, a term for collective sadness. It's like one of the, it, there's no real way to translate it, but collective sadness is, is one way that, you know, you can understand what Han is. And it's, it's something that resonates deeply with basically most uh, Korean Americans uh, and Koreans uh, in, in Korea, because, you know, we, we have a, a shared sorrow. We, we understand the, the pain of living in a broken world together. And we, we have shared experiences and a shared history that inform that pain and inform that sorrow. Um, it's far more difficult in individualism, uh, especially in hyper-individualism, to, to want to even take responsibility for the conditions that you benefit from that were created by your own ancestors in the past. But, you know, I think about even in Vietnam how... Koreans, uh, mil- Korean military folk. So I'm, I was born in, in the United States. So I'm, I'm, fu- I'm, I'm, I'm fully American, right? So I'm, I'm Korean American, but I still feel a source of, so I, I still feel lament when I think about the ways Korean soldiers treated Vietnamese women in the country of Vietnam during the Vietnam War to the point where there are 
uh, a whole bunch of orphans left behind after the Korean soldiers left. And I had nothing to do with it. But if I went to Vietnam, I think if, if there was a situation where it would be appropriate, I would want to apologize on behalf of my own people. And so I think if, on behalf of all Asian Americans and not all Asian Americans would even agree that we need to, to apologize because they've bought into um, kind of the dominant way of thinking or into, into whiteness. Um, I want to say, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry that we haven't spoken up with you, that we haven't stood with you when we needed to, that we haven't done right by you, uh, that we didn't kind of stand in the gap when we could have, uh, that that we didn't intervene, uh, that we didn't uh, bring you with us in, in the areas that, that we moved positively. Uh, and, and I think that, that there has to be some healing there because I think the, the, the crit critique and the criticism towards Asian Americans is totally fair, right? And so if there are African Americans or black brothers and sisters that are, that are hearing this or watching this, if you have problems with Asian Americans, I understand, I don't blame you. My, what I would ask is that you would give us, give some of us a chance, some of us who are trying to press into what the scriptures call us to in, in the pursuit of, of shalom and justice and righteousness to, to remedy things moving forward. And that's part of the hope of the Asian American Christian Collaborative. Um, and then I think for Asian Americans, I think we have to ask ourselves, what's the cost? What has the cost been for us to assimilate and to buy into this narrative that white is right? right? Because that's what we're talking about. And so many people have had to give up the rich cultural, ethnic heritage and their background in order to get approved in these spaces. But what a lot of sociologists will talk about is that we are actually never within the gated community of whiteness. We're actually just white adjacent, right? Mm -hmm. And so as soon as they want to put up another wall, they're going to do that. And that's what we're seeing with the coronavirus and the, and the COVID-19 pandemic, right? We Every, a lot of Asians were like, hey, we're finally assimilated. People accept us. They can't distinguish us from other white people, even though most of the Asian Americans that we know are facing the bamboo ceiling. Uh, and Asian American women are facing what I call uh, the, the, the glass bamboo ceiling. Um, and, and I'm just like, you don't realize the, rea the impact of a racialization that you have chosen to neglect and to ignore. And so I would say we need to wake up. I think we need to wake up. We need to have a reckoning to, to understand the situation that we're in, to, to know that there are costs that come, that there's going to be no distinction between uh, your Asian American child in six, seven, eight, nine, ten generations and a, and a white child. And the only difference is going to be is that when there's something bad that happens by Asians or from Asians in Asia, in any country, your child is going to be the target of that. Your progeny is going to be the target of that, like we're seeing today. Yeah. Hmm. No, that's powerful. powerful. Right? And that's, that speaks to a lot of larger, I mean, the whole concept of having this collective sorrow. I mean, that's something that needs to be spoken to America at large that's been trained in no collective at all, you know, super individualistic. Um, so that speaks to a lot, right? That's super helpful. Um, mm. Michelle, just want to hear any of your thoughts on on this idea. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to just share a few thoughts too. Um, I think when we're talking about fellow people of color, we have to understand on the one hand that we have different histories of racism. You know, I feel like sometimes we treat racism as like this singular cancer and we're all trying to like 
fight over who has it worse. <laughs> and it's like, you know, we all have different stories of pain. It's like, it's, we have to understand it as like, we all have our own cancers in a, in a sense, um, which, we, which require its own um, different approach and treatment. Um, and so on, on the one hand, we shouldn't be comparing uh, the history of racism for African-Americans and the history of racism for, for Asian-Americans. You know, like, for example, my own mom, her grandparents were taken as forced laborers from India um, to build the railroads through Uganda, Africa. And it just so happened that they stayed there long enough that they, they um, had families, they, they settled, they had, there was an Indian village in uh, right outside of Tororo, Uganda, where they, where, they, where they lived and my mom was born. Um, and then President Idi Amin came to power in the 70s and waged a war, like a genocide against Indians in Uganda. Um, and so my mom has like witnessed fellow Indians being slaughtered. She had to flee from her home with nothing. Um, so, you know, we have to kind of have a more global perspective that we each have our own histories of pain and, and racism. And I carry that as her daughter. And it's different from the history of African-Americans in our country or Native Americans or um, Latin Americans, but um, the, the, we shouldn't be trying to like create some sort of hierarchy of, of, of whose is worse or better or something like that. But then at the same time, we have to also understand, for example, like Asian Americans and African Americans, our histories are far more connected than we realize. And so um, I'll give you a few examples. One is at the end of the Civil War, um, Chinese immigrants were brought in as coolies to replace black slaves on plantations. Um, after Asians were allowed readmittance into the United States, 1917, or no, that's 1917, they were banned. Um, fast forward civil rights era, when, when Asians were readmitted into the United States, the model minority myth was created to pit us against African-Americans. Yeah. Um, but then at the same time, you see examples of Asian-American activists standing alongside the Black Panthers too. And so like our histories are far more connected than we realize. And I think when it comes to the conversations about racism between Asian-Americans and African-Americans, we need to see that what impacts one of us impacts all of us. And what hurts one group hurts the other too. And so this is, this is why there has to be a cry for solidarity across cultural and racial lines. Um, mm. and, and, and I think with that, that takes time and you have to build trust. And you know, you, you have to be in this for the long haul and you kind of have to prove that you're more than just words, right? Like it's great to sign a statement and we want people to sign a statement, but we also hope that's like a launching to a, a whole lifestyle change, right? Where people, um, actually see their neighbors in a different light and seek, seek to care for them. Um, even in our own church here in, in East Austin, uh, our church works heavily alongside the fellow black churches here in Austin, um, including fighting against the in injustice of falsely false incarcerations. And um, I don't know if you, if you heard the news about Rodney Reed being falsely incarcerated back yeah. in the fall. Um, but my husband stood alongside um, fellow black pastors on national television, pleading for his retrial. And so um, we have to be in that kind of justice work together to to build trust with each other and, and, and show that we're in it for the long haul. Hmm. I think you're hitting something really important, too, that I find most ignore is this collective history um, and even the creation of this model minority to pits. 
against each other. I think that's an important um, truth that's not spoken in kind of our modern division um, that's happening on these justice fronts. So I think that's really important. And just the opportunity that we have right now to recognize that history and to come together um, in a time where we have an opportunity to do that, right? In crisis. So that's- I mean, uh, Asian Americans should not take pride in being considered model minorities. Right? Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, yeah. We're, we're weaponized against black and brown and, and, and uh, Native American communities because of that. And then what, they, what we don't realize is that we're actually put into a cage when we buy into the narrative, that we can't actually be everything we actually are, that we can't be who God made us to be. We have to be what a racialized lens in society defines us as. And so what most Asian Americans don't realize who have bought into the model minority myth, which is just a myth, right? It's not a reality, it's a myth, is that, um, that when you buy into it, you're, the benefits that you're getting from society are not actually equal to the cost of your own dignity that you're giving up and you're, 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 you're basically selling for whatever benefit you're getting. The barter doesn't match, match up. Yeah. And that's, that's key history that not many are recognizing. The, just the creation of this myth and what actual impact that has. So I think that's important for a lot of audiences. The ways, and we could talk about it forever, the ways that narratives are created and the ways that they uh, separate us and the, the falsehood of those narratives, right? So that's super important, uh, Ray. So uh, I guess as we're, how much time we got? We ain't got too much time. But another important piece to this puzzle um, is something like the internet's amazing. It's powerful for making movements and for getting a statement like this to really be spread far and wide, right? Before the internet, that might not be possible, right? But one of the temptations of the internet is everybody can say, hey, that's wrong. And now I'm a justice warrior. And cool, now I go back to binging Netflix or whatever I'm doing, right? Um, even though that's kind of a crude extreme example of it. But when there's seasons of overt racism, especially overt violent racism, it's easy for people to say, hey, that's wrong, right? And to, you know, tweet about it or something. But it's much harder, especially for uh, those in white culture or those who have uh, been assimilated into white culture to recognize the broader spectrum of racism, the ways that works in systems, the deep-seated narratives of white supremacy, particularly in the United States, but even globally. Um, it's hard for us to, to see that big spectrum, and it's easy for something like a statement to become a, yes, I signed, now I'm good. Um, so I guess what would you say are some ways to help, particularly in the church, to help the church to see the full spectrum of how racism plays itself out, particularly in the United States, but globally as well? And what are some resources maybe to helping people not go beyond just saying, yes, this is wrong, and to seeing these larger pictures and be able to um, find solidarity and fight for justice in those ways? I know that's a loaded question as well, but... Mm. Yeah, and I, I think we have to start by talking about the church. I mentioned this earlier, but like if we as Christians aren't living this out well with, you know, as, as a church, we, we, we have nothing to stand on to call that out 
in society. And so we have to start with the church. Um, I wrote an article about about this a little while ago at Missio Alliance, um, because we have Asian Americans in our congregation and because I'm Indian American. Um, but so some of the things that we've been doing, regular prayer gatherings, now over Zoom, <laughs> but regular prayer gatherings to specifically uh, lament uh, this everything that is happening because of the coronavirus and COVID-19, to lament the racism that's ensued, um, to pray to pray for God to bring a, a, a swift end to this virus, um, to, to spare people, and to also um, transform people's hearts and minds against um, anti-Asian racism. Uh, so we've been doing that. We've also, I mean, this, I mean, and this also comes back to if you see justice in Scripture and the way that I mentioned it, right? Because we, in our statement, even we call for pastors to be condemning racism from the pulpit, right? But if you don't have a lens in which to read script or justice in scripture, you're not going to be calling it out on a regular basis. Um, I think for a lot of minority leaders like like myself and my husband and other pastors, we see it. We see it so present in so many times throughout scripture. So regularly calling out racism from the pulpit, um, changing the way you do discipleship in your church to also be mindful to the to to a wider um, multicultural audience. So those are some those are some ideas. Yeah, I think for me, uh, one of our hopes with the AACC or the Asian American Christian Collaborative is that we'll start producing resources for the church and for Christians and for non-Christians to get to know what Asian American Christians are thinking and hopefully what the whole church is thinking because we will be aligned with the global universal church on the major issues that we are addressing, right? Hopefully Christianity isn't so divergent that you can't tell one Christianity for another, or, or that, that you can tell one Christianity completely from another, and that you can't really, uh, dis that all it is is distinction. There are things that we are unified around. Um, but beyond that, I think there's a, there's a deeper systemic issue that, uh, that is constantly at play, which is that there's this deep anti-intellectualism this unwillingness to, uh, to engage with the mind and on scholarship on issues that are, are really pertinent to the church. And so you'll hear a lot of people talk about the evils of psychology or the evils of sociology or the evils of philosophy or the evils mm -hmm. of any form of humanity. And when you hear them, it sounds like what they want is, a, is to go back to a time when fundamentalists were shaping the narrative and we're basically creating pharisaical rules around what it means to be a Christian that Jesus himself would denounce, right? And we're still yeah. cleaning up a lot of the issues that were that that were created, but from the from the modernist fundamentalist uh, era, mm -hmm. and both sides had it wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think there's there's an element in which we have to engage with all scholarship, all, all you know, especially grounded in scripture, filtered through the scripture. And uh, as, as all truth is God's truth, and wherever that truth is, we ought to be searching for it. We ought to let it hit us. We ought to let it shape mm -hmm. us. And we ought to let it form us. Uh, I think the other piece uh, that, that I think we need to do is uh, to actively engage with, uh, with cultivating a disposition of humility, right? And so I don't think that if you get enough downloaded into your mind, it'll be enough. You can't think your way out of any habit. That's what Jamie Smith talks about in You Are What You Love, right? You can't think your way out of sin. You have to, you have to rely on the Holy Spirit to form you and to shape you and to liberate you from the sins. But it takes a tremendous amount of humility, 
a submission to God, and a willingness to submit to your neighbors in love. And that's what I think is lacking significantly, especially from the predominantly white church. Mm. Ah, so you're preaching now, right? So this oh, is exactly yeah. what this is exactly what the kingdom dreamers exist to do is to try and create more resources to reunite righteousness and justice. Clearly, this is what the Asian American Christian Collaborative is doing. Um, so I'm excited to see where this grows, uh, where this takes mm -hmm. the church. Excited to partner with you guys in any way possible to push this movement forward to see uh, God's kingdom expanded in this way. Uh, so I guess just as we wrap up, where can people find you on the interwebs? Michelle, let's, we'll go with you first. Where can they find you, the things you're doing, connect with you? Find, find me personally or the Well, the you, you personally Christian and the, both. We'll go with both, yeah. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm on all the traditional social media platforms. You can find me at Dr. Michelle Reyes um, or Michelle Amy Reyes on Instagram. Um, yeah, you know, if you're, if you're wanting to follow along with, with the stuff that our church is doing in terms of justice and ministry on the ground with the marginalized and, and immigrants, you can go to our, our website, Hope Community Church, or follow, follow Hope Community Church on social media. Um, yeah, those are two big places you can find me. Yeah. And then I think uh, if, you're, if you're interested in following along with the AACC or the Asian American Christian Collaborative, you can go on, I, I mean, all the social media handles are the, the at sign, and then a a christ collab and so if you go on twitter or instagram that's where you can find that and then obviously our website which is asian american christian collaborative.com or aa christian collaborative.com and then if you want to follow me personally um, I, I don't have a uniform thing because my name is so kind of generic and so that's really hard every time someone googles me they're like oh i find a baseball player or a scientist or a pastor or this <laughs> yeah. or that and i'm like i get it that's okay uh, but on Instagram, I'm Ray Chang 502 on Twitter. I'm tweet Ray Chang. And then, uh, I think for, for the most part, you know, if you're Googling anything that I write, it's generally under Raymond Chang. Okay. That's exciting. And this is exciting. We'll put all that stuff in the show notes too, for you podcast listeners. So you can just click on those. I have the same problem. That's why I have to use my middle initial and everything. Spell my full government name and just make it a brand now. So you can Thanks. get past the. <laughs> the common stuff, but no, I appreciate you two being on. I'm excited for where this collaborative is going, excited for the kingdom dreamer community to kind of join in and hear more about that. So, um, so yeah, we'll stay connected, excited for what you all are doing. Thank you for listening to another episode of the wild, wild world show. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. Follow us on Twitter at Kingdom X Dreams and learn more at KingdomDreamer.com. We are proud to partner with Fiverr, the online marketplace for freelance services to get stuff done. If you have any business or creative needs, you need to check out Fiverr, whether that's a logo design, website optimization, social media boost, video production, you can find it all on Fiverr. We as the Kingdom Dreamers have used them for many of their services and plan to continue. Check them out at the link in our show notes.